And Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. Uh, with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, again, our community is affected by a terrible disaster. Uh, this time in Florida, um, I- I'm assuming that you are hearing, and we will continue to hear, news about members of our community, our greater Jewish community, who are victims in this terrible collapse. In addition, I saw that Israel is actually sending help from Israel uh, to help out with this terrible uh, uh, situation, all the rubble that has to be removed, and lives that hopefully still can be saved uh, in in the in the wake of this episode. I-, I-, I assume you're only hearing terrible things coming out of Florida this morning. We've heard uh, very bad things. Um, first of all, the, the building, you know, there's still 100 people missing, and there were some tapping sounds supposedly heard. I don't know that they're still hearing them. Uh, you know, the longer it goes, the harder it will be to, to hold out hope for finding people, especially such a massive collapse. Uh, I just heard during the night of a young couple who was there in their 20s from Lakewood visiting people that another whose two children came, young boys came there to visit for the summer. I mean, just one case after another, and it's estimated that at least a third of those missing are Jewish and from the Jewish community, uh, maybe more, because the building was right near the, the shul, the, the synagogue, the Chabad synagogue was um, just uh, immediately in the, adjacent, near, near the building. So we just have to be patient, wait, and everybody should continue to be misbelled to pray for them. And we as a community worldwide have yet another episode where in an instant uh, um, tragedy like this strikes and it just it's just it's 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 hard to comprehend what we as a community worldwide have gone through uh, in the last few months and this one obviously what what looks like an earthquake disaster it looks like the aftermath of an earthquake that's how uh, devastating the the scene is. And I would assume, I, I'm, I guess stating the obvious, I would assume that Israel at this point has so much expertise in these types of recovery, uh, of rescue and recovery missions that they felt the need to, to pitch in in this case. And there's a strong sense of identity with the Miami Jewish community and right. a very active community. And I think that the, you know there's a lot of bonds that people feel the need. The president, uh, President Biden, also sent emergency aid immediately and, and put resources at disposal. But it's a it's a painstaking. People I know are frustrated because they don't see results immediately. But it's a very painstaking and very dangerous because they debris keeps falling and the, the, the existing building is not stable. I was actually shocked to see as this rescue effort. To continued. I was shocked to see the videos of people who were literally in the in the belly of the situation, and God knows, you know what could happen next after this uh, after this collapse. Who knows, you know what, what unfortunately could you know could occur to those who are trying to to rescue people. So yeah, we pray for everybody. Obviously, the victims and those who hopefully are still uh, alive and uh, can still be rescued, and uh, those workers, those workers, whether they're from Israel, Florida, or anywhere. Uh, who are trying their best in a very difficult situation. We pray for all of them. Um, well, we have an abridged version of the weekly update this week, but uh, I, I still need to ask you about Election Day, and not necessarily Election Day that was such an important day here in New York City. Maybe we should start with the other side of the world and tell us about the aftermath of the Iranian election. 
Well, it's very important, and um, the election of EC uh, has not been fully appreciated here, certainly not by the media. This is a man who was known as the hanging judge, the, the butcher of Tehran. He's, he's accused of uh, war crimes and crimes against humanity. He's, in fact, under sanction by the United States. Department of Treasury. He's uh, is truly an evil guy who was backed by uh, Khamenei. He's a, he's an, a student. Uh, he was mentored by Khamenei. He's uh, um, um, head of the judiciary until now, and they say that it's going back into the 1980s and 90s. He was responsible for the death of thousands of people. That he even witnessed them when they were thrown off cliffs as part of their death sentence. That uh, the numbers uh, go into the tens of thousands that he's responsible for. He is um, being used by them to try to press the administration into a deal saying, you know, if you don't conclude it with us by August 1st, you're going to have to deal with him. He's already said he won't meet with Biden. He's against the deals. He's a hardliner in every respect, but would respect, uh, I think, would want to deal in any event. He's... Um, and truly, it's a horror that uh, somebody like this could be elected. As you know, thousands of other candidates were eliminated, uh, even down to, to key leaders, Larijani uh, uh, and others who were knocked off by the Guardian Council and by the Supreme Leader, so that you were down to three or four candidates. But if you look at the results, first of all, don't believe the numbers they give. More than 50% of the people didn't vote, even by their count. And of that, three million votes were um, which was number two place, uh, were, were mutilated or left blank as a protest, and then a third of the votes he didn't get. So when you, you boil it all down, he got a, a small percentage of the actual vote, and the vast majority of people boycotted uh, the election. So this will um, this will, is not a democratic election, and, and we believe the turnout was about half of what the government estimated. But now that the uh, <laughs> now that the results are in, even though even though you described the type of election it was, now that the results are in, what will it do to the potential Iran deal with the West? What will it do in general with the enrichment of uranium and how Iran, no matter what the deal holds or doesn't hold, you know, they may just you know they they couldn't care less whether there's a deal or not. Will it accelerate their uh, nuclear capabilities? They are accelerating the nuclear. Cap- Capacity, as you know, there was another sabotage operation against a centrifuge manufacturing plant near Karaj, which they denied. They went on the offensive to deny that any damage that they, in fact, took out the attacking uh, uh, quadcopters, uh, which were similar to the ones used in in um, Lebanon. That, uh, but in fact, it seems that there was substantial damage done. But on every front that we know, they are moving ahead in their cooperation with the IEA is diminished consistently. And the um, you know the United States has acted recent this, this week against the Iranian disinformation campaign of Press TV. They closed down 33 or seized 33 websites used by Iran Islamic Radio and Television, and also closed down Press TV, which is um, a pure propaganda play. The uh, centrifuges are spinning. They, we see that he said that they will not negotiate on the ballistic missiles or their regional activities, meaning Hamas, Hezbollah, and other activities. And this is um, only going to make it more complicated. And I hope that the West reaction is, isn't that it's all the more important, therefore, to make a deal. There is no deal to be had with somebody like this. Yeah, but you know that that's going to be the reaction, especially with 
who we have now in the White House. But I'm but I'm I'm essentially at the point, and it sounds like you agree, that no matter what the deal ends up being, and no matter who it's negotiated with, it's probably not going to stop this guy or others in charge in Iran from doing what they want anyway. So it's it's as much as we can't stand the deal, and obviously we'd work against it, you know, to make sure it doesn't go through. Uh, nonetheless, it's just, it, it might be completely irrelevant in the long run. Well, the, the, what the, what is in the deal gives, gives you the capacity to monitor and to and get access for the IEA to to inspect sites, which is very critical. Uh, but you're right. Overall, the process, as we've seen, even through the JCPOA, has been enhanced. That they're enriching faster and more, and stockpiling, and admit that they have, you know, 63 kilograms of, of uh, 60% enriched uranium or more, and certainly a lot more enriched at 20%. But also, we have to look at this election is really in the larger context that Khamenei is looking for his successor. And this gains him, you know, the, the, the credibility to move with uh, for his son, which is really his goal, maybe he will put Raisi in as an interim. But uh, the goal for him is to get his son elected. Raisi is has a credibility with the extremists, and himself and sees himself as a candidate to succeed uh, Khamenei. So there's an overlay of the in, in Iran itself about what. Uh, what this really means, but the, there's a lot of divisions and, and divisiveness within this structure. Even though they try to portray this as being, you know, the ultimate uh, control machine, but the protests, the fact that people didn't vote, the fact that you have uh, the, the strike starting in the oil industry and other sectors, again, not reported in, in the West, uh, tells a very different story. And I'm just confused. I, just uh, th- so this attack. Uh, the drone attack that happened this week, uh, th- is that the one you're describing? As yes. sab- that's the one you're describing as sabotage. The quadcopter attack. No, that was not sabotage. That was an attack. From an uh, outside source. Probably. Ah, got it. So it's but it, No, but it was launched from near the site itself. Got it. Got it. So, so what outside is so a hard definition. So it's possible. Right. <laughs> Somebody was on the outside. So, <laughs> so, so, if Isra- so if Israel, uh, you know, I mean, just as an example, if Israel went ahead and remotely uh, tried to carry this out, what they are saying is that they were able to, uh, to um, stop the attack. They say they talk, right. but people, got it. this is tell me that's not the case. Got it. Right, they're controlling the message in the media. Got it. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored uh, digital radio. Around the world, the web, NachumSegal.com, the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, the beloved NSN app. Today is the final day of our fundraiser, our spring-summer fundraiser. Today's officially the final day. If you haven't given yet, fjbunity.org. I would like to say that if you give, we can avoid... Uh, the network crash that we had about 40 minutes ago. I can't guarantee that, but down the road it probably would help as we continue to upgrade our network. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, whether it's for that purpose or just for the appreciation you have for what we do every single day, please support us. The listener revenue stream is an important one for us and helps keep us going and upkeep our studio and operation. Uh, it's fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and a special thank you to those who have been donating in memory of Mayor Weingarten. His shloshim is being observed today. I got the videos and the uh, pictures from Israel, those who went to the uh, gravesite to be there, and um, those who are donating in his memory, much appreciated. Malcolm, this may be the story that we really need to spend a little bit of time on. 
uh, and that's the one about the uh, uh, the letter, a letter from 73 Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives, including a number in leadership positions. I'm reading from the Jerusalem Post, urging President Biden to make a number of moves to reverse what they call the Trump administration's abandonment of longstanding bipartisan U.S. policy on Israeli-Palestinian relations. Obviously, I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to emphasize it, even though I probably don't need to. Uh, obviously, there are members of the Jewish community on this list. Uh, there's there is a variety of things that they're demanding. What's your reaction to this letter from these seventy three Democrats? Well, it's very disturbing, and and as you note, some of the people signed it to, to be Jewish, but that doesn't uh, change their politics. Right. And it's a, a trend, and it's only going to increase the speculation about the alienation from the Democratic Party and from the Democratic Party. As you know, that Lapid said this week that this is going to be a priority for him is the. Um, uh, rebuilding ties with the Democratic Party. I think that the, a lot of these people are driven by extreme ideologies. It's not driven by facts on the ground. They are trying to reverse anything that was associated with President Trump, uh, including the recognition of the Golan, I understand, and that there's some move in that regard. Wow. They, they, um, they did not talk about the embassy in Jerusalem, but they did talk about reopening the consulate. I mean, some of the things that are in there are, in fact, already underway, but we have, uh, you know, this is a disturbing thing, but it doesn't mean we write them off. It means that there are some that maybe have to be educated or reached out, but there has to be very strong voices, and especially those who are contributors, those who have um, the ability to, to uh, uh, be heard by those that are still rational and willing to, to listen uh, to reason. But we see so much of this is just based upon knee-jerk reactions and not based upon a factual assessment uh, that uh, the, the putting the onus again on Israel and trying to, quote, reset the U.S.-Israel relationship is exactly the wrong message to send, and especially when you have Hamas, Hezbollah, and the other terrorists, Iran, and everyone looking at it, they look at what they perceive to be a U.S. withdrawal from the region, which has broad implications that the United States is, is taking away Patriot missile batteries from Saudi Arabia and other countries, uh, reducing the squadrons of planes we have in the Gulf, which is only going to open the door to Russia, China, Turkey, others, but also send a message to Iran and the Hezbollah Hamas and all of their affiliates, as well as the other who are seeking to undermine friendly regimes, that the United States is, is shifting its focus to the Indo-Pacific, to China, and to um, and that there will be uh, it will invite an open season, and more than that, you know, it's it's the perception on which governments will will act, and they will say, look, if America is withdrawing a, a feeling that they have have had before as well, um, then they will they will act upon it, and you see that Russia and France others stepping in with arms sales. Which is an indicator of this, and the the uh, concern I think that I've heard from many people just in this last uh, week or so about some of the statements have made, and then you get a letter from seventy three members of this kind. Yeah, it's very disturbing. And with, with the opening of the consulate, what I'm assuming is that that consulate, meaning the one that was in the Arab section of Jerusalem, has been closed since the embassy opened. Is that is that what's happened? It, well, they did. They put under the um, under the embassy, and oh. uh, because the embassy moved to Jerusalem, right? Right. They moved to close it. That was the one in Beit Hagron, not in the Arab sector. The one near the Waldorf. Ah, uh, got it. The consulate. Right. Understood. So the one that's in the Arab sector has been open the entire time. Or forget COVID. I'm saying has been operating the way you know any other consulate would be operating. 
there's an office there, but it's not the consulate. Oh, is that, is that sort of like a, a satellite? Like just a place as, where you could... As far as I know, that there was just a you know, uh, processing place, papers and stuff. But the, the real consulate is the one in Jerusalem. And now there's talk about moving it right. into East Jerusalem. But all of those things have not been resolved yet. So what pressure... First of all, the point that you've made a million times before, and obviously this morning in, in light of this news story is so important about how the world is going to view this letter, how the world is going to view Washington's support for Israel is so critical. And sometimes I wonder, you know, I I, I don't know if the... Uh, I, I mean, can I assume that there are some people of these 73 who are normally friends of Israel, who normally vote with Israel, who normally say the right things about Israel? I'm not, I'm I would say many of them vote for aid to Israel. So this Increasing is numbers want to condition it, and, and it's again, remember, out of uh, 435 uh, members, it's not, uh, it's still a minority, but the, the there are those who take far more extreme positions, even in this, and there are those there that are fellow travelers now and joining in this wave. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, certainly misguided. I hope that through you know a lot of this is anti-BB and anti-Trump, right? And and it's not just in regard to Israel; they they moving against any measure that uh, President Trump uh, supported or instituted. Uh, the fact that they, they haven't gone against the embassy in Jerusalem, I think, is a reflection of the fact that they know that that's uh, taboo right now. Right. That that's a. That but they, uh, they could be vulnerable too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I but got... uh, I think President Biden has made clear that he will not go along with that, and this does not mean that this is policy of the administration. It's simply an expression by members of Congress. Right. And they cautioned the words a little bit more than the way the press presents it. I just want to make a point, because as you know, we're encouraging people, and with uh, some Jewish organizations, there's an effort now to get people to be in touch, especially during the summer season, with their local uh, government officials. And that includes members of the House, etc., some who might be on this list, others who may not be, etc., etc., I think this point that you're making is one of the things that need to be in the talking points in those sessions, whether via Zoom or in person. And that is that it's not just that you're going ahead and, and making a statement against Israel or asking the president to consider a policy that would be you know, not to Israel's liking. But in addition to that, the whole world is watching and seeing what Washington is doing, how they're reacting to all of this. And I think that has to be a major talking point now added to the list already that people bring into these meetings. And why would Iran agree to anything, and why would they, if they don't find not only a, a forceful force, but if they believe that with time these positions are all going to erode, right. and that the commitment isn't there, and it's not just regarding Iran, it's regarding all of the terrorist entities, and we see the threats from Hamas again, uh, trying to leverage their position, yeah. and certainly Hezbollah does it all the time too, and you got Turkey looming and moving in the background, and you've seen that the attacks about their education system, but for Europe, who thinks that they're immune, you know, that the, the revelations this week about the impact of Turkey, that the largest uh, extremist, radical racist group in Germany is not the Nazis, but four times the size of the former members of the neo-Nazi party are the members of the Grey Wolves, which is a Turkish uh, uh, extremist group. Uh, that operates not just in Germany, but in organizing in other countries in Europe. So Lloyd thinks this, these all have ripple effects. Everything is interrelated. You know, that bone is connected to the shin bone here. Everything bone is connected and will, will influence 
the policies and, and anybody who thinks that they're immune to the impact uh, is making a big mistake. And now speaking of ripple effect, as uh, Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister, goes through this whole Eviatar situation and decides, you know, whether in fact uh, this quote-unquote settlement can be built, has to be, uh, has to be uh, uh, you know, emptied of his residence, etc. I mean, is this, is this going to be now done in the light of pressure from the U.S.? Or, or he has enough pressure on this issue from his current coalition, he doesn't have to worry about the U.S.? That's pretty well put. That is a choice, but he has a lot of internal pressures, but they have moved ahead on, on a number of, of fronts. Um, look, it's, it's so early in the new government, I think they're all f- still finding where their offices are and, and exploring it, but it's um, and still recovering from uh, the war and the right. um and and also because of the you know the economic implications are severe the post covid situation and now the rise of covid again in some uh, particular areas and moving quickly to prevent the spread so i think it's it's um you know it's a very complicated time for for government to take place we have to see when they they have decided yet about who the new ambassadors are going to be. They didn't name a new consul general in in New York, somebody who served as minister of tourism for four months um, and has was a deputy mayor of Tel Aviv. Uh, a surprise name for, for many, but um, so they are slowly beginning to, to fill the post. Uh, a good person, in your estimation? I don't know. I don't ah, know. you don't know them. Um, tonight, you know, you, you could be sitting with, with, well, it's post-COVID, or at least we think it's post-COVID. Don't, don't tell the Israeli government that it's post-COVID, as it doesn't look like I'm heading there in July now. Uh, but, um, uh, but to someone may ask you tonight at the Shabbos table for the post-BB assessment. I mean, I know it's too early and you're right, but still, you have to have some type of feeling just seeing what's happened over the last couple of weeks. Do you have any, uh, do you have any, um, uh, opinion about how this government is working post-BB so far? Well, certainly, first of all, tonight I'm going to be at the Chevrolet for Shmuel <laughs> Bach and Leora sure. Adler. So then for sure they're going to ask you. I people who will be able to ask questions, but I wanted to give them a shout-out and a model tub on their Lots wedding. My tub, grandson and uh, the, the Adler family, you know. Yep. Um, and so no doubt there will be people who will have questions. Questions will have answers, but the the... the um, Look, I think you know what united the government was the anti-BB. That's not enough to sustain a government. But their fear of an election and knowing that people don't want it and that many of them might not make the cut if they go to another election uh, is a motivating factor. But look, I think that they've made every effort, certainly at the Lapid Bennett level, to appear to be cooperating, but it's one weekend. You've had a couple of points of tension already that, that arose, and when you have such a broad coalition, it's inevitable. Uh, they they will be tested very quickly on a lot of fronts. They made a, a very strong outreach on the Iran issue to the administration. Kohavi was here, others were here, and he, they took very tough stands, um, and the United States agreed to to uh, hold back on the negotiations a bit to give Israel a chance to make its case which it, it, it has, and there are various ongoing working groups and, and discussions about what Israel's concerns and information um, being provided to the administration about the implications. The reports are that they're very, Israel is certainly very concerned that the new the administration's position in negotiations is not stronger and longer, but right now weaker, that sanctions are being lifted. But a lot of this is, is Iranian propaganda. Some of it is reality on the ground. And so we don't have a full picture, but the 
the concern is that at a time, especially with Reusi coming in, et cetera, that the and the violations being revealed constantly, that the um, uh, you know that that the anxious that the desire to get a deal, yeah. especially on the part of the Europeans, <laughs> will override what might be the longer, better, longer-term considerations. Totally, I totally get that. Uh, finally, uh, again, we don't always talk about local stuff, but I, I felt that this election Democratic primary for mayor of New York City will be watched by the entire country, and often what happens in New York, the entire country follows. Um, I mean, Eric Adams seems to be a legitimate uh, candidate and likely will go on to become mayor of New York. That's not 100% set yet, but I was disturbed by just how many votes certain people did get, especially the person who came in second place. Uh, any comment about uh, what we need to consider being here in new york city and not wanting it to turn to uh, other um uh, uh, cities around the world that uh, have this progressive um left-wing outlook that often is not to the benefit of the jewish community yeah a uh, progressive is a bad word because it indicates that people want progress are, are in some way negative it's not progressive it's the institutions of these that completely erases history the, the what they call the woke culture though right. i'm not sure the cancel culture the, right. the you know taking down statues rewriting history trying to 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 uh, impose extremist uh, definitions uh, and especially in the educational system we've seen the the NEA this week the National Education Association we see what's going on in CUNY professors we've seen on, on our campuses strong anti-israel and what borders anti-semitic and in other cases blatantly anti-semitic um, manifestos and and uh, actions so uh, number one people have to be much more alert number two now's the time register still not too late if you're not registered and really make a commitment to go out and vote. I think that there were very wonderful efforts done by the FJCC here, by other groups at Borough Park, et cetera, to turn out uh, voters uh, in an off-year election. But you see how how a few votes can make a huge difference. And the advocacy of, of someone who, who came from nowhere and all of a sudden ends up number two in the city of New York. Yep. So it's very important that people turn out, that people vote, that you look at both parties and um, when it comes time for the election. But to get involved, to educate, to and really important, report crimes. People do not report anti-Semitic harassment attacks if they think it doesn't rise to the level. You have to, if, even if it's a car driving by, get a license plate, do anything necessary. We have to have much better reporting and much more concern on the part of uh, the community. Uh, we're getting reports everywhere today from Pittsburgh of incidents there against uh, shul, people going to shul over the last uh, period. But it's it's everywhere. There's no, almost no place that's immune to it. And you and you never even discussed on the air, and you likely don't want to. But I'm going to mention. Uh, I'm going to allude to it because you've said this to me off the air. What people are going through around the country in terms of employment when they have a certain position regarding Israel or they just wear a yarmulke or identify as a, an observant Jew, uh, you can tell us, and again, I'm just being vague, but you could tell us that a lot of people are going through very sensitive situations right now. Very difficult situations. We have academics, professors who are resigning from these unions because they're, and, and uh, often from positions at universities because the sense of harassment and of, of, uh, of the one-sidedness, and they use the... the uh, a Palestinian issue, uh, supposedly, but I think in many cases it's just a cover for the real reality of the anti-Semitism that they're expressing. They don't express concern for 
the Uyghurs, they don't express concern for the, the Yazidis and all the other yeah. people who are truly being persecuted. Right. And and so it's not a question of human rights. It's not a question of their, you know, their um, hearts bleeding for some cause. It is really blatantly anti-Semitic at its core, and people should realize it. Now, and you've got to report anti-Semitic incidents. 100%. We pray for those in Florida, and uh, Malcolm, I thank you as usual. Have a wonderful Shabbos and Mazel Tov. Thank you, and good Shabbos to everyone. We should only have symptoms. Amen. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.